Welcome everyone to episode one of season four of the Pogel podcast. This is Wayne Pearson back in the producer's chair for another season of podcast. This time around, we are talking about teaching. We're having conversations with teachers from inside and outside of the Pogel project about topics of interest to our teaching community. Today's host is Alex Gushow. Hello, Alex. Hey, Wayne, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, what are we talking about today? Well, we are going to be talking about teaching. We're going to be talking uh, to two Pogel practitioners from the same family, but two very different settings. So with me, I have uh, Laura Parmentier. Laura, can you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do and where you're from. Hi, thanks, Alex. Yeah, um, I teach organic chemistry at Beloit College. I've been there since 1991. Okay. And also joining us is Laura's daughter, Maddie Blaine. Maddie, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Hi. Yeah, I am a sixth grade social studies teacher at a pretty small middle school in Wisconsin. Okay. Pretty different. (laughs) Well, Thank you both for 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 joining me here uh, for the Pogel podcast. So, both educators, both interest interested in using Pogel, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, but as you introduce yourself, it's two clearly different uh, settings, two different subjects. Um, however, I do understand that you guys talk to each other quite a bit about teaching Pogel. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of get into that as, as we get along. Um, but I want to uh, get started with um, how you were introduced to Pogel. Um, Laura, since you've been doing this a little bit longer, we're going to start with you. Um, how were you introduced to Pogel? Can you give us a little bit of a backstory there? Sure. Yeah. And my backstory is a little bit backward. Um, I... Well, as I said, I've been teaching at Beloit since 1991. During those early 1990s, lots of folks around the country uh, in chemistry were interested in uh, education reforms. And so I was very actively involved in a chemical education reform initiative that was headquartered at Beloit College, uh, and that was the ChemLinks Coalition that developed in the 1990s. So this was a, a, a another student-first guided inquiry learning project. And so uh, when I took over teaching organic chemistry in the early 2000s, I wanted to continue with the student-first guided inquiry learning sorts of things we had been doing at Beloit for the general chemistry courses. And so I got connected with Andre Stramanis Mm-hmm. who yeah. was in the process of publishing uh, his uh, Guided Inquiry Organic Chemistry book. This wasn't the Pogel project yet, so this was pre-Pogel. Um, his work was in manuscript form, and I agreed to, and I was very interested in uh, classroom testing his materials. Right. So, okay. so I classroom tested those materials and worked with Andre for a couple years. Um, and then the the Pogel project uh became officially the Pogel project, <laughs> right, got NSF right. funding, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so I started using Pogel materials in my classroom mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine years before I had attended a Pogel workshop. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I have a very mm-hmm. similar right. Uh, 
So so in in kind of through the back door. Is, right. Yeah. Although yeah. mine was in physical chemistry, different yeah. group of people. But yeah, same same sort of thing. So, Maddie, um, I'm sure you were not instructed in Pogel in organic chemistry at any point. <laughs> so so no. tell us tell us about your introduction to Pogel. Like, uh, be honest here. <laughs> I like to I like to joke that I um like had a Pogel to learn how to tie my shoes like. <laughs> but that's how I learned everything as a kid. It's not actually true, but that would be kind of fun. Um, I think it's like the kind of thing I probably heard the word a lot. And I was like, oh, that's just something mom does, pogo, whatever that is. Right, right. Um, and then I think I must have been a, a year or two into teaching. Um, and I actually asked, like, okay, what what is pogo? What does that mean? Um, and it turns out that the whole idea of guided inquiry, this student-centered education, like really fit with the pre-teacher education that I was doing at the time or had just finished Mm -hmm. in my first couple of years of teaching. It's like, oh, this is a really nice method of doing kind of what I had been learning to do through my my pre-service education. So so basically, if if you you had already gone through college you'd learned a whole lot of material you were taking teacher preparation courses and then you went back and sort of said oh my mom's been doing this for a while now that that, that kind of <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah okay and so like laura you talked about how you came by the activities you use maddie you're you're teaching sixth grade history what do you got where where, uh, where does this stuff come from i make it all <laughs> I did a writer's workshop gosh, a couple years ago and wrote my first one. You know, I took an activity that right. I was doing with kids and turned it into a Pogel activity. And now I've got a couple more, but I've created all of them. And, okay. you know, I run them past my mom for approval and <laughs> past the kids. So, so, so you, you, you at least have some, some ability to get some feedback on your stuff, even though, you know, the disciplines are very different. Um, and I'm just going to ask a quick question here. I mean, even though the disciplines are different, like, do you, do you each feel like you can like look at a activity in the other discipline and sort of see where there's Pogel? I mean, Laura, as, as Maddie was feeding you some of this stuff, was it like, I have no idea or this is this sort of look like it? Well, you know, Maddie and I typically talk more about process than about content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where I am pretty weak on ancient Mesopotamia, <laughs> um, I'm pretty okay on, you know, concept development and, and, and the process right. skills that students, students, uh, engage in to, to do the sorts of really creative things that Maddie does. All right. So, that, I mean, that's cool because, so even though the disciplines are different, you know, there's there's the ability to converse and sort of share ideas and talk about this. Um, so that that's that's uh, that's that's very interesting and cool to to hear. Um, so, you know, like, uh, Laura, you have like this full set of organic activities. I mean, is this how you teach like like all through the entire year? Is this this is what your students get? Right. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. And, you know, we've been doing this at Beloit for a long time. And so 
you know, there's that history. So students coming into the course know that this is how the course works. We've got a workbook. Um, I don't necessarily take things in order of the workbook. I don't necessarily do all the things right. that are, yeah. Um, but that's the expectation and that's that's what students expect right. to do. Right. Yeah. And, and you have other colleagues who use Pogel at Beloit as well, or is it this is just the way organic is done? Well, um, so we still teach our general chemistry course the way we developed this oh, right. first guided inquiry course many decades ago. Um, I um, have worked with many of my other colleagues at Beloit. Um, so we have we have introduced Pogel activities in the biochemistry curriculum, in the inorganic chemistry curriculum, the, the activities in development. Um, and in the physical chemistry curriculum. So, so yes, we're working on becoming, uh, yeah, Pogel right, kind but, of all but, around. But you have buy-in from colleagues. Yes, and, right? and, and that's so, huge. That is huge. So, Maddie, <clears throat> well, tell, tell us a little bit about, like, how often Pogel gets used and what your colleagues, peers, you know, and, and even, I mean, at a middle school, you have to answer to administrators. What's that environment like? I'm really lucky where I work that I have like a ton of professional freedom. Mm -hmm. um, I get to design my course how I want it to be for the most part. Um, I don't have like a set curriculum where I have to do all these things, um, which is really nice and it allows me to be really creative. And because the sixth grade social studies department is two people, me and a colleague, um, we kind of have a lot of freedom there and, and we do lots of, lots of stuff. Um, I do like maybe one official Pogel activity early in our units that really, it's like very foundational, like a very foundational piece of content or, or skill. Um, but a lot of what I do, I would classify as like like off-brand Pogel. So it's it's inquiry. Um, it's very like skill focused. It's very student centered, but right. it's not necessarily the full cycle in an activity every time. Right. And, I mean, do you get students to do the, you know, the using roles and working in teams and filling out stuff like that or or as much you think as much as one can do with with sixth grade students? Yes, it's um, a particular challenge to get group work going effectively. Um, and, you know, it's October of this year. We're not quite there yet. Um, by later in the year, the, the kids are a lot better at, at working in small teams. Um, but I start out with partners. You know, it's not the groups of four, but, you know, we're working in partners. And how do you work in partners? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And kind of build from there. So, but, so de yeah, yeah, definitely working on building the process skills uh, piece of it is is probably uh, requires a little bit more effort. I mean, Laura. So, given the environment that you have, I mean, how how to process skills? You have any difficulties or because I get pushback from my students a lot when I try, and you know, I'm teaching college students. Not there's there's not a lot of pogo going on around me. Um, yeah. um, 
and and having you know pretty much full departmental buy-in so at Beloit the chemistry department but you know our biologists are engaging in student-centered work our geologists are engaging in student-centered work our physicists are so you know sciences at Beloit over the decades have mm. yeah um, and so that's changed over time you know when we first started doing this stuff Alex um, and our undergraduate TAs had not done the course the way we were now doing the course. That was difficult, right? right. If we didn't have those upper class student, we, if we didn't have that upper class student buy-in, um, that made it harder in the class. Right. Right. But at this point, you know, this is what you do in sciences at Beloit. You work in teams. Um, those teams change sometimes. Um, the instructor chooses the teams mostly. Um, and so, and, and I can assign roles. I don't always do all four roles all the time. I always assign a facilitator. I use different means to, to, to pick who that is. And the facilitator's primary job is, is read out loud or choose someone else in the team to read out loud so that somebody is doing something to move the, to move the project along. Right, right. Um, Maddie tells a really interesting story that illustrates a great difference between my teams who, you know, they're young adults, 19, 20, 21 years old, typically, um, will work together, even if they don't necessarily like each other, mm -hmm. you know, where Maddie tells a story about, you know, maybe someone will pick up and throw a table if they don't like one another. So teamwork is different between yeah. young adults mm -hmm. in college and, and maybe you, Matt, you, you're nodding your head here. Is, is you've had furniture thrown in your in your classroom? That might be a bit extreme, but the teams I put a lot like when I have to make groups for things, I put a lot of thought into it. Um, right. Certain kids working with certain kids, certain kids can't work with certain kids, and you know I need somebody who is a strong reader in the group to to help out the kids who maybe can't really read yet or don't yet speak English and things like that. Right. Um, okay. So it's definitely a more in-depth process of making groups, even partners can be tough. Right. So you, and I think you said this earlier, you don't really jump into a lot of this until you get to know the students and sort of figure out who is going to be able to work together and in, in what, uh, what kinds of different environment you're, you know, yeah. uh, in in what setting, how do I sort of put this group together and what can I expect out of each of the students? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with Laura. I don't really, I mean, I see that sometimes and I will sometimes purposefully reorganize teams, but definitely don't have to worry about it nearly as much as you're you're making. Uh, and I guess, you know, again, it's it's maturity of the of the students. So these are things that you have to think about. So it's not like you can jump in on this day one and say, okay, class, this is what we're going to do. So you had said that it's basically the history is you and, and one other colleague. Um, do you need to sort of worry about what administrators are thinking about this? Or do you get any pushback from parents? Because as college professors, your mother and I don't really worry about what parents think. <laughs> but Not but, at all. Not at all. And we have we have deans and other administrators who protect us from them. But you 
maybe do not. Has that played a a factor for you in what you've had to do? Um, Not directly. There have been other social studies educators um, who teach the same content who've had more, I don't know, tension or conflict with community members or parents. Um, I'm pretty careful about how I go about anything that might be, say, controversial. Um, So that is something that I have to be really careful with, you know, in a public school. Um, In terms of like methodology, it seems to be going okay. Kids seem to enjoy class and that makes parents enjoy it. (laughs) Right. So long as the kids come home and say, we did something fun today in school and I might have learned something. um, Okay. So you you haven't had any real negative uh, issues there. Um, so we had alluded earlier that, that the two of you talk because you, you, you know, Maddie, you haven't moved too far from home. <laughs> um, and I understand that there's a special time of day where the two of you talk about Pogel together when you're out doing what? Okay. What do you guys do? Walking the dogs. Walking Walk the, the dogs. Dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our... <laughs> so so tell, tell you know let us in a little bit on some of the conversations that you that uh that you guys carry out when you're out walking the dogs so yeah, yeah give it you know what what you you'd mentioned earlier laura that a lot of uh what you worry about mostly is facilitation yeah um and so tell us a little bit of something about like the interactions that that, that you guys talk about during those yeah. Yeah. So first off, imagine beautiful southern Wisconsin, rolling countryside, prairie, um, either a long leash or a dog's off leash um, and and having a fabulous time. And we can walk for miles mm-hmm. uh, and just engage in, in great conversations. Um, so we talk a lot about facilitation. We talk about, you know, this happened to me in class on Wednesday, you know, what, what would you have done in this particular situation? Um, what, you know, how might I have handled this differently? And those are typically facilitation things, Mm -hmm. right? About, about team dynamics. If there's somebody who's, um, uh, whose voice maybe isn't being heard in the team, you know, how do I, uh, sort this out? Um, how do I bring out the strengths, uh, the assets of this particular person? If they're, if, if that's not happening right now, um, I have, have, gained a lot of insights from talking with Maddie because she's a trained educator. And, you know, I got my PhD in organic chemistry back in the 1980s. And at that time, you know, empathy didn't really figure into the equation for being an educator. We were not taught how to teach in graduate school. No. And so, you know, I've learned a lot over the decades and I've learned a whole lot more on our wonderful dog walking mornings, just talking mm-hmm. through with someone who is not only trained, but is very insightful um, about what what might make this situation better. Right, right. Okay, so Maddie, now, now that your mother has painted you in these glowing terms, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, tell, tell, can you give us one or two nuggets of, you know, things that you guys have talked about something that really like, this is really cool and I'm, I'm going to go use this. Um, it's, it's funny to hear my mom say that she learns a lot from me as a trained educator, because so many times at school, I think, oh gosh, I just really sounded like my mom. Like my, my <laughs> teacher voice sounds like my mom. And it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny that that's kind of coming full circle. Right. Um, some notable conversations. We've talked, I think, a lot about, well, one thing we talked about recently was kind of chemistry as a second language. Um, I'm, yeah. uh, I have a ESL teaching license as well. And I have a lot of kids in our district are English learners. And so it's right. something I think about a lot and love making the parallel between chemistry as a second language and using some of the strategies for teaching English to teach the language of chemistry. That's been yeah. kind of a fun one. I, that, 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 I mean, it, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because, you know, as a physical chemist, I find organic chemistry is a completely foreign language. Um, don't ask me to do organic nomenclature. You know, it's just... <laughs> No, and that's not the most interesting part of organic chemistry by, by a long shot. But but right. Maddie's absolutely right. You know, I've learned so much thinking about, you know, there are even books about organic chemistry as a as a second language. You know, this mm -hmm. is not the first time, but but thinking about my teaching of organic chemistry and comparing that with Maddie's teaching of English language learners, it's like the the parallels are tremendous. You know, it's not it's not only the new vocabulary that we need to to talk about these concepts but it, it, you have to have this foundation to be able to to delve into the concepts and and so peeling back some of those layers right um, and right. understanding what students and and also i have students for whom english is not their first language and so so there's you know this multiple level thing um, that's been, that's been a huge insight in, in my teaching. Right. Right. Cool. Um, and so and you're both talking about, um, having students for whom English, you know, is not primary language. So I imagine accessibility, you know, not just, you know, being able to, you know, figure out how to facilitate an activity with students, but also, you know, making sure that you know, like I, I think Maddie, you alluded to this too. Like, who can actually read the activity out loud? You know, what are some of the other issues in accessibility that that you guys have talked about? I mean, anything jump to mind there? And the parallel between vocabulary and anything in chemistry, because it's all crazy vocabulary to me. But I think that's that's really big. And the way that we use the sort of concept development arc is is similar to how kids effectively learn new English words, that that meaning has to be there. You can't just know the word. You have to also make the meaning behind it. Right. It, it needs some context. Mm -hmm. exactly. right? right. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that's always fascinating to me like I teach a, a survey course. So it's basically the G part of a GOB, general organic biochem course. And I've got students in there for whom they really don't want to be in chemistry, um, but they're there and they're talking about stuff 
that they don't really sort of see it at all. But when they're talking about it with one another, there's there's this like connection that they draw. And then if you put the term on top of that right. afterwards, okay, both of you, just so people at home know, they're both nodding on Zoom <laughs> right as I'm saying this. So, and, and so you're, do you, do you see that also with the English language learners as well? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's sometimes like the best way to learn new words. It's like you already know what this is. Here's a word right. for it. And then they might, you know, they may know it in their own, you know, mm-hmm. mother language. Um, cool. Very interesting stuff. Um, so I, I guess one last thing that I want to ask about here, and that is, you know, the process skill issue. Um, how do you how do you get through? I mean, how do you get through the, the process skill piece to, uh, you know, students at that at that sixth grade level, you know, while you start slow in the year, do you feel like at the end of the academic year, they've figured out how to really work with one another? Is that a? Definitely, it improves. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we have our course set up, we end with a really big group project. And that it's super rewarding to see the effort and the the group work and the cooperation that goes into that big project mm-hmm. that would not be possible, you know, in September, October. And that I think it always reminds me like, oh yeah, all those times where I have to stop and be like, okay, what does it look like when you're working well with a partner? All right. those times we have to be so explicit about expectations and, and what good group work looks like, like it finally pays off. You know, right. in June when they do and, their their big project, and do the students realize what they what that they've grown? Like, I mean, I again, think so. they're they're eleven years old, so they're 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 sort of, you know, self uh, awareness might not be, you know, where it is for you know a, a college age student. But I mean, so I, I wanted to sort of swing this back to you, Laura. Um, do you see students? I mean, again, since they since they're sort of working in teams a lot, do they sort of come in already with this ability to do things, or do you feel like they're still growing in their process skills as they as they sort of move through organic chemistry? Oh well, there's they're always still growing. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. it's a whole developmental arc. Um. I think one of the key differences maybe for my students in organic chemistry at, at their developmental stage, you know, relative to Maddie's students is that, that, that organic chemistry students are going to go on and look for internships or they're ultimately going to apply to medical school or graduate school or apply to a job. And they mm-hmm. understand it when I tell them, when I remind them that it's the process skills that I will focus on in their letters of recommendation, right? Can they right. communicate effectively about science? Can they work collaboratively in teams? Do they? Right. Um, Those are, are they... all of the check boxes that are asked on on every evaluation. Form. Every single yeah. evaluation, and mm-hmm. so you know, college students are are likely pretty motivated um, by that sort of that sort of. Um, idea. Whereas I think, you know, for middle school students, you know, they're not thinking about that yet. 
Right. Um, and, right. and so, yes, I see development over the course of, you know, two years, two or right. one year, two semesters of organic chemistry. Right. Um, and I love to be able to talk about that development in letters of recommendation. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been really interesting. I really appreciate the both of you uh, coming onto the podcast, chatting with me. Um, you know, I almost wish I was a dog person and I lived in Southern Wisconsin to go out on a walk with you guys. Um, but neither of those are the case. So I appreciate the time that you have spent with us here. Um, yeah. So any, any, any last words that, that, that you guys have, like, I mean, something else, some one other nugget that you want to give to, to other people. I think having somebody to talk about, you know, teaching in general, whether it's specifically Pogo or anything is just the most valuable. And I can talk to my colleagues at work, you know, we share the same students, the same age, but it's kind of nice to talk to somebody who is in a completely different realm, right? have a, a different perspective on things. Um, and I found that super valuable. And I can ask, you know, when we're talking about preparing kids for the next level, I can ask my mom, you know, <laughs> what do you want out of kids when they're coming right. into a college class? So I can actually speak to that when we're preparing kids. And I will add that, um, the Pogo community is great for fostering conversations uh, amongst uh, practitioners of, you know, people who teach different subjects at different levels. And that's, I think, super valuable. Absolutely. I love our Saturday and Sunday morning dog walks <laughs> uh, because we can dive pretty deeply into, into things that we're facing today, right? What am I going to do with this next week? And so I just find that super, super valuable. Um, and I'd love to be able to foster that kind of level of conversation um, more broadly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you, Laura, I've been doing this kind of teaching for decades now. I shudder to say that, but true. Um, and I still find that even, even when I'm facilitating a workshop, just from questions from new people, it's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Let's talk about this. And um, I mean, you two are very lucky uh, that you've been able to carry on conversations. Uh, you know, and I'm sure that there's every now and again an emergency phone call. Quick, we need to go walk the dogs. <laughs> that's that's the new code word among Pogo people. <laughs> we right. need to go walk the dogs and i'm sure that the people in the pogel office would agree that that is a good idea mm -hmm. all right uh maddie blaine and laura, laura parmentier i want to thank you both for a really engaging conversation what a way to kick off season four of the pogel podcast thank you very much thanks so thank very you. much thanks and back to you wayne so what a fantastic conversation. Uh, one of the things that I get to do while these conversations are, are going on is just be a fly on the wall. And I get to hear everything that gets said. And there are two insights that I that occurred to me as as this conversation was going. One, I'll echo Laura, is, is how great the Pogel community is for bringing people together from very diverse environments to, to talk about what we love to do, and that's teaching. 
And whether it's at an end cap, a national meeting, whether it's in a workshop, whether it's at social hour, we always find a way to to talk about these things, even though we're coming from very diverse uh, environments. And we may not be all in the same genetic family, but it, it's, a, it's a great thing to have. And the other thing that occurred to me is that it, when, when a lot of people think about Pogol, they think about something that's very set up and very rigid. But I don't really think that's true. I think that uh, if you work with Pogol, you can make Pogol work for you and you adapt it to your environment. So I think the conversation today just, just is a clear example of that. So I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back in about another month with another Pogol podcast. So, so long, everybody. 